Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of some gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Welcome back to Rick's Horror Movie Review Show. Rick's rated R Horror Movie Review Show. And if you know what I just read, then you know that this episode is the conclusion of the fall of the House of Usher. Finally, at last, we're here with The Raven. That's right. Episode 8. Ooh, it's been a long ride, and man, I'm glad we are here. Boy, yeah, you're right. It's been... Oh, Lord. I don't know how many episodes has it been? Six or seven? It's been seven episodes. Oh, Lord, Lord. That's, that's a lot of episodes that we have reviewed. That's, that's a lot of work. A lot of work, but we love it, and we're glad we're finally here at the conclusion of this amazing story that we have uh, so far been... Uh, so far we've had the pleasure of uh, reviewing and watching and talking about. So let's just jump right into this. No, uh, no things I like, no things I don't like. If you recall, the last time we heard about this story, Verna had brought Roderick back from the death. And she did so as he sat in front of this brick wall. But we haven't been told what the hell this brick wall is. He's been sitting there and he's been drinking there. And this is the same location where his sister Madeline gave him the 80s, the high dose of the ligadone that, uh, you know, that they, the, the company pill, you know, the, uh, the pill upon which the Fortunato and the Usher Empire has been built. Anyway, we are here in front of that brick wall. And now Roderick realizes that Verna is in fact real and out of memory. Now he realizes who she is. And she brings him back to life. And now they have a conversation about uh, his death count. Or his body count, I should say. Right? Because that ligadone pill has killed a lot of people, hasn't it? I mean, that ligadone pill is very, very addictive. And yeah, him and Verna are... Well, mostly Verna is recollecting all of the people that... Uh, you know that unfortunately the Ligadone has killed thus far and uh, I, know, I don't know exactly how old Roderick is at this point but uh, over his uh, at the very least uh, the amount of time that he's been at the top of the Fortunata Empire. That's right, that's right. Uh, and uh, you know there's uh, she brings him back to life because there's a purpose to him not just yet she tells him you won't die just yet Roderick. And Roderick's of course Fuck me. I thought you were a goddamn illusion, damn it. You should have let me die. I had the 80s. And boy, did I feel good. Now I know what all those Ligadone consumers feel like. They feel like heaven. None of that side effects for me. I, I drank too much. I was high, Bobby. Hell, I was high. And then we move on from that scene, and uh, we see another scene of Lenore, and she's giving a statement to the police after her father died, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, finally, Lenore is, you know, Lenore has always been the good character in the show, along with uh, her grandmother, Annabelle Lee, uh, but they always still show her, you know, 
following protocol and you know not straying too far away from the usher empire even though she knows she's not the uh even though she knows they're not the best of people she still sort of follows along right i mean she's a child at this point right yeah but i think this thing is finally her breaking free and saying you know what i'm not gonna do you know do you know the rage against the machine song oh yeah i know the rage against the machine song i think at this point she's gonna say and mama if you're out there listening to me Please just cover your ears for a second. I gotta say some curse words and it's not gonna be nice. It's actually pretty naughty. Oh, you don't use the curse words in front of your mother? Well, you know, I don't like to. She taught me not to use such words. You know, we, we should expand our vocabulary and our vernacular and uh, lexicon of words. And we shouldn't be dependent on curse words all the time. Wow. You know, this is this is uh, it's a revelation to me. You know, this you realize this is Rick's rated our horror movie review show, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I like to use them. I just, I'm just giving my mama a warning in case she's listening. It's, it's not a big fucking deal. Oh, look at you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I do use them. Anyway, where was I? I think you were about to say the lyrics to uh, Rage Against the Machine. Like, oh, right, right. So this is where Lenore really says, Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Wow, <laughs> not bad for the guy who doesn't do voices, huh? You sound just like Zach De La Rocha when you say that. I mean, I'm gonna be very honest with you. Ever since you know you 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 gave me that compliment, you really gave me the the courage and uh, and I really been practicing my voices. So you know, I'm just gonna keep doing it because it's actually kind of fun. Cool, keep it up. Anyway, move on from that scene, and obviously Hank isn't too happy. Hank Pym. Uh, Lenore, I'm gonna have you retract that statement because, you know, what you just said just uh, goes against protocol and, you know, you're an usher and you must stick to protocol and what you just said is, well, you fucked up, kid. And Lenore's like, nah, bro, you fucked up. Anyway, move on from that scene and, uh, well, the next scene is an interesting scene, isn't it? Well, I mean, she, I mean, Madeline realizes that Roderick is still alive, so he left the brick, he left the wall, and uh, now he's back in his, uh, in his office, and he's talking to Hank, who is also surprised, because him and, him and Madeline were in cahoots. That's right, Madeline ran the numbers, and it made sense to kill her brother, or rather, force him to commit suicide. Is she pulling an old, uh, uh, John Kramer here from Saw? Well, I mean, she she gave him the pills, but she didn't actually kill him. Right, so the old John Kramer then, huh? Where you just, yeah, she's not actually a murderer, she's just facilitating the murder. Or, you know, giving people really no choice. So. You're gonna have to take these pills, take the 80s, and you'll die. But at the very least, you'll die with pride. Mm-hmm. Holla. Oh, he still hasn't learned English. I mean, he still hasn't learned Spanish. I don't think he has. Do you know Spanish, brother? Oh, say, estudia español cinco años en la escuela. What? Holy shit, dude! Wow. Say, hablo hablo español muy bien. Wow, dude, you you do really speak English very well. For those of you who don't understand what he just said, he said he studied five years in school. Amazing. Good job, dude. Gracias. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyway, where were we? 
Right. So now it's Madeline and it's Roderick and it's Hank. And obviously Roderick's like, you fuckers freed me. But guess what? This some bitch is tough to kill. And I'm back, baby. So fuck you two. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, well, he sort of threw a wrench in the old plan. Or threw a wrench in the old machine. Or what's the expression? I don't know. But I mean, I think I know what you're trying to say. And, uh, uh, yeah, and that plan that uh, Madeline had computed, the numbers were good. The numbers made sense. Clearly is not uh, going to come to fruition now that Roderick is back. So she's no longer going to be the new CEO of Fortunato. And her AI system potentially is never going to take Fortunato into, into the future, Marty. I was wondering if you were going to have an opportunity to say that in this final episode. Because, you know, I don't think... Well, they did they are flashbacks. No, yeah, so maybe you'll have another opportunity to say it again. Listen, I will take any and every opportunity to use that. Anyway, we move on from that scene. Obviously, everybody's surprised, but hey, he's alive and whatever the case. And then we move on to another scene where Roderick, and this is, we're really, so, you know what I really like about this episode? It's tying up all the new sins. So it's been a long, long eight episode story. And each individual episode, of course, has seen a you know, particular death happen and each is sort of, you know, closed, uh, had a conclusion to each one of those characters' story arc, but this long, long season-long story arc is coming, is closing, it's, it's being tied, oh my goodness, I think you need your, I think you need your exercises, ow now, brown cow, ow now, brown cow, thank you. Yeah, so the season-long storyline is finally coming to a conclusion and tying up all the loose ends, you say, that's why you gotta do your, 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 your exercises, you just speak so eloquently after you use it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. I'm just here to help. What was I saying before I got confused? Oh, right. About the... Yeah, yeah. You're just gonna... All the storylines are gonna conclude now. And the big story is gonna conclude now. Or at the very least, they should, they're starting to conclude everything. Not just the single episode, but the entire eight-episode storyline. The big arc. The big arc? Like Noah's arc? No, no. <laughs> Not Noah's arc. No, I'm talking about the Usher arc, the Fortunato arc. Oh, well, you said big arc. What do you, I mean, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you, when somebody says big arc? Oh, Lordy. I mean, I guess you're not wrong, your sister. Come on, man. Give me a break. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yes, so the uh, long, long season, long storyline is concluding. And now we go back to... Just before, you know, or scenes that occurred in the very first episode where we see Roderick in the church after the death of his three oldest children, which happened to be, uh, Lord Jesus, um, Freddie and Victorine and Tamerlane. Yes, the three eldest children. So now we see him at the church and he has another hallucination. And this one's important, isn't it? Uh, yeah, this one again, you know, concluding storylines. We don't really know what happened to Annabelle Lee, his first wife. No, we don't, but, you know, we're about to find out, essentially. So, this scene is to tell the story of how, if you were wondering, as I was, how is it that, you know, Roderick wound up with all the children after, you know, the, the separation that occurred sometime back in, you know, in the past? Well, it turns out that once Roderick, uh, you know, and we'll get into this a little bit later, once once he made all his money, you know, once he became the Roderick Usher, Roder I'm Roderick fucking Usher, goddammit, once he became that person... Well, you know, he really, uh, he really became that person, for the lack of better words, don't you think? Well, I mean, he really personified what it meant to be the CEO of a large, 
pharmaceutical company as Fortunata is. Yes, he did. And along with that, I guess, comes being an asshole to your wife, to your loving wife who always believed in you. She always had his back and it's a real shame, a real, real shame. She, that, now that's the kind of woman my mama is always telling me, do, do you know that Leonard Skinner song? That simple man. Yeah, my mama is always telling me about that song. Do you know how to sing? Well, mama told me when I was young. That one? Oh, yeah, you're not. Go find a woman and you'll find love. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, what about it? Well, you know, Roderick found that person that Leonard Skinner was singing about in that song and he just excuse my English, but he fucked it up. Yes, he did. So now they're showing that the reason why all the children left was because he had money. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of left Annabelle lonely without her children. And unfortunately, as it's revealed, it's, it's implied, really. As she's talking to him, she turns around to see the, you know, her two eldest children dead, along with Victorine, who wasn't hers. But she turns around and walks away from the church. And this is all happening in the church aisle near the entrance, turns around. And we see a giant bullet wound in the back of her head, implying that, you know, she committed suicide. That's a sad end to her, but at the very least, we know, uh, you know, how that, um, how that relationship uh, ended. And well, it's sad, but you know, his money beat out the, the loving, the love of a mother, the love of Annabelle Lee for her two eldest children, Tamerlane and Freddie. That's a real shame too, because I don't think that Roderick really ever loved them anyway. Nah, he didn't. All right, so we move on to, to the past. So finally, one final 1980s scene. We've had a lot of these, and we've had a lot of fun with these, haven't we? I mean, these have been interesting scenes. I love flashbacks in shows when they're done properly, uh, but sometimes shows don't do a good job of keeping continuity, but this show certainly has done a very good job at that, although at times, I must admit, I'm with you. It felt a little bit repetitive, but we didn't see a flashback, I don't think, in the like two last episodes, or at the very least, the same style of flashback, and so... I'm okay with it now. Yeah, well, we are flashing back to, you know, New Year's Eve 1980 once again in important gear, and we'll know why shortly, but now we are at a company party, Fortunato, Fortunato, a company party, and everybody's celebrating, it's the New Year, and it's a masquerade ball, or, it's a, no, it's not a masquerade ball like the one that uh, Perry had in the first episode, but rather it's a costume party for to bring to bring in the New Year. And, uh, well, we see, uh, we see Rufus, the, CE, the current CEO, 1980 CEO of Fortunata. We see Madeline, and we see Yorati, and they're having a conversation, and everybody's very happy with what happened at the key ring, and uh, now we are celebrating not just the new year, but the fact that now Roderick is a made man, and Fortunato CEO of Rufus onwards. <sighs> Roddy. What you did in front of that company, that meant a lot to me. And, uh, well, I'm just gonna tell you. You're a made man. From now on, your office is next to mine. You drive the same car. You eat the same breakfast. We smoke from the same cigarette and we'll finish each other's sentences. You understand now, Roddy? You're a made man. You'll drive a Ferrari and in a week you'll have any house you want. Any woman you want. Or man, if that's the kind of stuff you like. I don't really care. Anything you want, Roddy. Anything at all. 
wow, Mr. CEO, that's, uh, that's so generous of you. Hey, you know what? I really like that idea. I really want that new car. Uh, you know, that Ferrari that you drive around, you know, that's kind of like uh, a Thai Salu. You know, I saw Lou Gehrig once, Mr. Yankee, drive one of those things the other day. And, you know, I, I really thought to myself, you know, maybe I could see myself driving one of them Ferraris, you know? I just got to be a CEO of some... I mean, I'm sorry. Well, hold on, just hold your horses, Roddy. You're not going to be CEO. You're going to be assistant to the CEO. Right, that's what I meant. I didn't... I meant no disrespect. I apologize. I was out of line. Anyway, I, uh, you know what? I got to use the restroom. I'll be right back. And that's when Madeline and Roderick have a conversation. And things start to get interesting. Because, because Madeline has ulterior motives. And she lures Rufus to the basement of the new building that is currently being constructed. Rufus, would you like to come with me to the basement? And we can do anything you want. Uh, well, let me just, let me just take a sip of this Amontillado uh, drink that you brought me here. Let me just give me a second. Oh, I wish I, I really wish I had a smoke, but give me one second here. Oh, that's real good Amontillado. Oh, where did you get that? Oh, that's delicious. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right, let's go. And she lures him to... I think the party is happening on the top floor of this new building, isn't it? Well, it's not... It's not really specified. I don't know, but I think you could assume that that's, that's where they are. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. So they go down to the... It's not a basement, is it? Well, I'm, well, I mean, I think it is a basement. That's just not finished yet. Well, let's go say they go down to the foundation of the building. Okay, that, that's fair enough. So they go down to the, the foundation of the building, which is being finished off. And all of a sudden, Rufus doesn't start to feel too good. Rufus, come over here. Uh, just, I'm coming. Give me a second while I get my bearings back. <laughs> I'm a little... Well, that drink you gave me is a real hard stuff. Oh, well, that's delicious. Whoa, I really loosened my footing. Whoa, whoa. And Rufus falls. And he's unconscious. And when he comes to consciousness again, we see him tied up behind what turns out to be a very important wall. That brick wall that we have been saying, Rufus, I'm sorry, the brick wall that we have been seeing Roderick talk to. That's right. It turns out that uh, Rufus is buried behind that wall. And I won't drag this story too long. But the whole point here is that this is, th this is the origin story of how Roderick finally becomes the CEO of Fortunata. Because we didn't really know, right? I mean, we knew that he was a company guy and that he was going to ascend. And obviously, he is at the top at some point. But how he got there, we don't really know until this episode. So that's what I said. That's the, the, the storylines are being tied up nightly. Those, uh, well, oh my goodness! Do you need more more talking exercises? Oh no, brown cow. There you go. Anytime you get stuck, just say that. You, you know, you, that things will come to you. Just trust me on that. All right. So the stories are being finished. All the story arcs that we have been, you know, the long season long story arcs are finally being nicely tied up and uh, bundled up with a nice knot. How's that? 
Ah, that works, that works. So this is how he becomes CEO. They buried him alive behind the wall during New Year's Eve, and Madeline is very clear to say that no one will be back. No one will be here for a week. Oh, I'm so sorry, Rufus. You really don't know the difference between your alcohol. I added a sedative in there, and you clearly didn't detect it because well, you have no idea what amortadalo tastes like. Oh, love, I feel bad for you. I really do. I want to point one thing out that uh, that I really liked about the actress, and I don't know her name, uh, the actress portraying Madeline here. She did this thing that a bricklayer does when they're laying bricks. Oh, you, you caught that too? Yep. So she tapped the brick as she was laying it on top of the mortar with the uh, bricklayer's paddle. Oh my goodness, I don't know what that's called. I mean, I actually don't know what that's called. You don't know what something is called? I mean, I don't know everything. I just, you know, I know a lot of things, yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm no Janus. Wow, oh, look at you, so humble. Um, but anyway, she, uh, a spatula, isn't it a spatula? I, I guess you could call it a bricklayer spatula. Anyway, that's this device that people grab the mortar with, the, the construction workers grab the mortar with, and uh, she taps the brick as she's laying it, and I thought it was such a small, but very accurate detail about the bricklaying process now i'm no bricklayer but i have seen bricklaying being bricklaid as the uh, walls have been bricked and laid and she taps it with the bottom and she just goes i'm sorry rufus i just gotta lay these bricks one after one and no one will find you sorry love did you also notice what the brick said when, you know, they cut away finally from the scene and we see the perspective from Rufus while he's trapped inside. Yeah, it said, you are so small, which is what Annabelle Lee told Madeline when Madeline told her about the entire orchestrated affair to have Roderick turn on Dubon. That's right. You caught it. Oh, eagle eyed viewer. Yeah, I am. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, oh, and remember, this is also important because we keep seeing hallucinations or visions of this. The court jester outfit, the person that that Roderick saw in the limousine in the first episode before he collapsed, well, that's the costume that uh, Rufus was wearing, and so he kept haunting him after, uh, you know, after he was murdered and placed behind that wall. And uh, well, that's the uh, that's the end of Rufus. All right, Mr. CEO, I'm really sorry about this, but, uh, you know, nothing personal business. I understand, young man, I understand. Business is business. I'm quite proud of you, actually. Well, you know, one last smoke for old time's sake, what do you say? Sorry, Mr. Rufus, no can do. And then he turns around and he tells Maddie, Roderick does, Maddie. Take the gun and leave the cannoli. He he doesn't. He never says that. Now you're just now you're just making stuff up. That's from the Godfather. I know. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's joke, huh? All right. Anyway, uh, we leave this scene, and of course now they're rushing. They're on their way. Wow. What the fuck do we do? And uh, they're well, they're actually not rushing. <laughs> we just see them trying to establish an alibi in the next scene, and this is where things start to get real, real interesting because. Now we start to tie in the other storyline, the other long storyline of how they actually met Verna. Well, we know how they met Verna, but we don't know how it is that Verna influenced them. 
or how it is that Verna helped them become, if that is the case, right? And so now it's revealed that Verna offered them, made them an offer, right? Yeah, she's, you know, and, and if, you, if you recall this, she also said something very interesting. She said something along the lines of, like, sometimes humans do interesting things and she likes to come topside. Which to me means that she's from hell. She's the personification of the devil. Whoa. Yeah, I caught that line too. You're absolutely right. She did say, she did say uh, you know, that sometimes she's interested in humans and she comes topside, which again is an insinuation for her living underground or potentially in hell. So she offers them the world, anything they want, fame, fortune, anything both the car and the asking price well i guess this is why uh this is why we we finally know why all of them are being killed that's right she offers both madeline and roderick because it's a it's a two-person affair she offers them fame and fortune or fortune without fame whatever they want really in exchange for their bloodline 50 years of being rich, 50 years of being pampered, 50 years of, you know, having anything and everything that you could ever desire, you and your loved ones, but, and she didn't say exactly that that's how long they were going to live, or maybe she did, I don't recall, I don't know, that's a good point, I don't know, I think it was just sort of a estimate, 50 years, yeah, and uh, anyway, after those 50 years, you die, but your bloodline dies with you, meaning all of your descendants die with you, anybody that's still alive, at the very least, and so now we start to understand why all the ushers are being killed one by one. Yeah, but I mean, it almost seems like them being killed was contingent on them doing something evil first, don't you think? Well, I mean, okay, to that point, I don't want to draw this conversation, or I don't want to go off on tangents too much here, but I'll say this. Was Perry an evil dude? never killed anybody at least not that i know of this is kind of a jerk a 20 i'm not defending him or anything but he's a moron kind of an annoying character annoying person to know but he didn't hurt anybody really i mean not in like in the kind of sense like for example um well i you know they weren't they weren't guilty of murder sure they were part of the usher empire but it wasn't them who invented the pale or at the very least they didn't run Sure, they benefited from Ligadon and they benefited from the Usher Empire, but everybody in that family did too. Does that make them guilty and worthy of death? Because it seemed like they were only being killed after performing some evil act, at the very least the later ones. I don't know about Perry. Or was it just luring Morella to the rave, his act? That seems kind of petty, don't you think? That's insufficient for me personally. Again, I'm not defending him. But if I was his attorney, and I, in his defense... I would say he never actually committed a crime, at least not one worthy of death, at least not one worthy of a horrible, acidic death or a chemical byproduct of some chemical experimentation, which becomes like acid death. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't like credit either. I don't want to defend him, but what did he really do? He didn't kill anybody. No, he did not. Uh, Leo, did he ever kill anybody? No, I don't think he, uh, he. I don't think he killed anybody. No, I don't think so. I think the only person who really had any semblance of, you know, of, of a lack of 
humanity or moral compass with Victorine with her experimentations on chimpanzees, although it's not unusual for that to happen in the real world, in our world, your and I world. No, don't talk about that. Oh, I don't want to hear it. Well, it is. People experiment on chimpanzees, and I think it was banned in 2015, and they mentioned that. And it's, it's important to mention this because they make a lot of references to the real world. Maybe she's the only one worthy of... Uh, whoa, hold on just a second. I almost forgot. She killed her girlfriend. Even though it was an accident, she killed her girlfriend. Yeah, you're right. She, she killed Dr. Reyes. Oh, Lordy. Maybe she did deserve it. So there you go. Anyway, we went too far astray. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so they're all doomed to death, but it does seem like they were only being killed after committing something horrible, although it is now established that not all of them committed something horrible. Freddy... I mean, does pulling someone's teeth constitute something horrible? Yes, of course, unless you're a dentist. And I'm not going to excuse him, but, you know, he was just kind of crazy and on a coke, you know? And yeah, extreme, certainly uh, maybe deserves some jail time or something for, you know, severe, but death, I don't know. You know, maybe some psychiatric help and uh, some rehabilitation, but not death. I certainly don't believe death was necessary in that case either. Anyway, they all die. So where were we? Oh, right. So after they, you know, after they agree to this deal, we flash back to, guess what? Oh, Lord, here it comes. That's right, Marty. You got to jump in. There's something wrong with your kids. They're fuck-ups. We got to go back to the future. Again, he doesn't ever say that. I don't think you had... When does the doc ever curse? Actually, now that you ask. When he's showing the time machine. Ah, no. Oh, my goodness. You really know the lines to that movie. Well, so do you, because you know it before you even say. I mean, that's one of my favorites, too. Should I say it? I mean, you're already teasing us, so go ahead and say it. So he's showing the DeLorean to... Marty, and uh, they're about to perform the first test in the history of mankind, the time travel test. And uh, he tells them to, you know, when this baby hits it, well, it's in the, stand back, Marty. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Ah, you're right. So maybe there is a rated R version where he does it. I'm telling you, it's so much better. You got to really find it. Marty, you got to come back with me. Something's got to be done about your kids. They're fuck-ups. We're going to go back to the future, Marty. Go ahead, grab Lorraine. This involves her, too. Anyway, back to this story. So we're back to the future. And now, Verna is seen. Because, again, she's been lured now. She's been lured by Hank. You know, been tracking, they've been tracking Verna. And, and Hank lures her to the usher home. And now, Hank is still the character. He doesn't quite know what Verna is. He, you know, he's obviously seen her in those photographs, you know, with the movers and the shakers, the, you know, the real famous people or the real influential people. But he still doesn't know who she is. So he lures her to the usher home where as soon as she walks in, he gags her. And then neatly like an expert wraps her up in plastic and you know very professional like and then he makes a call for his guy to and i go he's ready to be picked up to pick her up and as soon as he hangs up the phone what do we see 
Well, it's Verona. She's standing at the off, the end of the of the house in the distance, and she's sitting very cool in a chair with her cool hair and a cool outfit. She got very cool black hair, doesn't she? And that hairstyle. Oh, I love that too. It's like this ponytail thing with the. I don't even know how to describe it. Very bird-like, right? Yeah, maybe very raven-like. Mm, okay. So she's sitting there, as in like, ha! You thought you had me, but guess what? You don't. And she entices Hank with a drink, and uh, having sit him, you know, asking him to sit down, as uh, you know, he stands there in disbelief as to what he just saw. Nah, he's really. Now Hank's really starting to like, wait a minute, wait just a goddamn second, who in the motherfucker are you and how did you get out of that plastic bag? I've been doing that for 40 years and you're the first person to get out of it. Are you some kind of goddamn magician? And of course she's much more than a magician. She's the devil, I think, right? She's gonna be a devil. You're the Devil! You get out of here, devil! It's the Lord's house! Huh. And he's standing there and he's just confused and she offers him a drink. Hank, would you like a drink? Uh, no thanks. What can I do for you? Very businesslike Hank, always, even in the face of seeing something as crazy as someone magically disappearing from a plastic bag that you yourself wrapped. Stands there with zero cynicism, professionalism to the nth degree. And she starts asking him about his expedition and how... Well, this is, this is where it starts to get into, like, the real world. Bruno starts talking about the amount of money that people spent on dumb shit. Hank included. You know, you know, Hank, with all that money that you spend on your expedition going halfway across the world... That money could be used to save the poor. All those billionaire races and even all the money spent on television every single year could be spent to help the poor. But we choose not to. You humans are real fuck-ups, including you, Hank. But I'm going to make you a deal. And she makes him a deal. She wants collateral. She wants something he loves. But Hank, you know, very trepidly at this point now i've never seen hank nervous but he certainly has a hint of nervousness right now doesn't he i mean his guy is just always so stone cold and business like but yeah his voice is a little a little softer than usual and his demeanor is definitely that of someone who is a little uncomfortable at the very least yeah and he's definitely uncomfortable and she's asking for collateral and hank's like ma'am Respectfully, I don't have collateral. Collateral means loving somebody, and loving somebody means them having power over you. So respectfully, if it's all the same to you, I'll just play my cards. I'll play this hand out. So she was offering him to be off the hook because Camille had this file on every single... Camille, one of the ushers, if you recall, killed in episode two. Unceremoniously killed in episode two. Lord Jesus, why did Camille die in episode two? Oh, why did you do this to us? <laughs> you're really upset about that? Oh, you're not upset about Camille dying in episode two? I mean, Shay was my favorite too, so yeah, I'm very upset about that. 
So Camille had files on every single family member, uh, every single Usher member, including, as it turns out, Hank. He's not a family member, but I guess he is, right? I mean, he's a very close associate, so I guess he's like the conciliary. Back to your references to the Godfather. That's right. He's the Tom Hagen of the family. Waiting for people to look up that reference. Tom Hagen, Tom Hagen, Tom Hagen. Look it up. You got it? Okay, good. Anyway, he's the family conciliary. He's the attorney. He's the guy that takes care of all the dirty work for the family and to make sure that they are always protected at his own expense. But he doesn't take the deal. You know, there's a file on him, uh, you know, doing all kinds of shady stuff on behalf of the Usher family. And uh, in order to get off of that and not see any prison time, she offers him something in change for his collateral. But they don't really say whether he has collateral or not. He says he doesn't. He says, in 70 years of life, ma'am, respectfully, no one's held anything against me or over me or over my head. And at 70 years and this close to the end, I'm not going to let that happen. So fuck it. I'll play this son of a bitch out. And so he does. And she walks out and, you know, in the face of making a deal with the devil herself. Oh, Hank Pym just decides to play his cards and, uh, you know, and go to jail. Eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of had, that's, I don't want to say I respect a bad guy. But, I mean, I think that's a, a, that the reasonable thing to do in this situation. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Oh, boy, do we need to talk about this? Yeah, I think we do need to talk about this. It's very sad, but we have to. So now there's a scene with Roderick and Lenore that uh, just before this one, and Roderick tells Lenore, Lenore tells Roderick that she's aware of how shitty the company is and that they should do him good now that he's retired. And Roderick really doesn't say he, he agrees or disagrees. He's just kind of, you know, like, uh, Lenore. <laughs> yes, of course. Lenore. And goes to sleep. We don't even say anything. I'm silently just silent nod. Like, sure thing, kid. Sure thing. Of course. You know, you just agree with somebody, but you're not really agreeing with somebody. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Are you just agreeing with me just without actually agreeing with? No, I totally agree with you. Oh, yeah, now you're playing. I'm not playing games. Oh, what are you talking about? You little son of a bitch. Are you agreeing with me just to agree? I'm not. I totally agree with you. All right. I'm watching you. I'm right here. You can watch all you want. <laughs> all right. You know what? You're starting to get real fresh over there. What? What do you mean real fresh? Uh-huh. I'm watching you. Let's get back to the story. All right. Sorry, boss. Yes, yeah, so he agrees with Lenore. Sure thing. Sure thing, Lenore. We'll do all the good in the world, of course. <laughs> and he goes to sleep because he took uh, some Ligodone or has been taking some Ligodone and uh, now he's tired. He just got back from, uh, um, yeah, from, well, he just got back from being dead. So there you go. And uh, the next thing we see is another scene. Um, with Roderick and Dupont. Monsieur Dupont. And this is where they finally reveal who's been texting Roderick the entire time. He keeps saying it's Lenore. He keeps saying it's Lenore. He keeps saying it's Lenore. 
So we're going to go back and forth in these two scenes a little bit here. So Roderick wakes up, and it's a beautifully set up, and this is his house. This is his, we're in the feet, and this is his house, his current house, where Juno lived, where his children at some point lived, where Lenore is staying the night, and it's raining now. And um, I think you forgot to mention something. Oh, you're right. As Lenore leaves, before Roderick wakes up from his old-timer nap, this Grampus nap, Lenore is unfortunately visited by you-know-who, the Raven, Verna. And she tells him, or rather Verna tells um, Lenore about her mother recovering, Morella, and how there will be a foundation under her name, and how much Good will be done because of how Lenore refused to let her mother stay in a hospital against her father's wishes, Freddy. Or rather, I'm sorry, not that case around. The way that, um, you know, Lenore contacted authorities when her father was acting weird while Morella was being, I mean, really, she was being tortured at this point, let's be honest. But you said Freddy didn't do anything to this. No, I admitted that he pulled her teeth. But he was also feeding her that paralyzed toe. So don't forget about that. Okay, I'm not going to excuse Freddy's paralyzing agent ways and teeth pulling ways. Maybe he deserved harsh punishment. I still don't believe it was death. All right, but you know, at least point those things out. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely being sadistic, but he I don't know about that. Anyway, Lenore is brave enough to pull her away from the situations and away from her father, and that was her act of kindness that granted her. Uh, the ability to have this conversation with Verna, and Verna's informing her now. And you know who Verna visits typically winds up dead. So we know what's going to happen now. Lenore is an usher. And as we know now, the bloodline dies with Roderick and Madeline. But I was hoping that when Verna was mentioning this act of kindness of saving her mother, and her mother going on to establishing foundations for women, for, for victims of uh, you know abuse and violent crimes, that this would somehow be a redeeming quality that Lenore has and will be saved and spared from this curse that she had nothing to do with. If not, why even bring it up? Why say these things that they were all would they all would be under, you know, in her name, in her honor because of what she did. Her mother goes on to do things. I mean, Morella married an usher. That was her choice. You know, she knew what she was getting herself into. Lenore was born an usher. She had no choice in it. Really, who, who, who should have died here? Well, I mean, if we're going to pick people who died, it should definitely be Morella. Why Lenora? You know, Lenora's just a little kid. She shouldn't have, she shouldn't have died. She should have, she made acts of kindness. That's right. She made an act of kindness that allows other people to make acts of kindness. But that person who's making acts of kindness, her mother, married an usher. And by the way, she was going to cheat on her husband with her brother-in-law. And she still gets saved? But Lenore dies? Oh, that's, that's fucked. That is fucked. Le fucked. Anyway, she dies, unfortunately. And now we go back to the scene with Roderick and Dupont. And Roderick finally reveals to Dupont that the reason why he has not been answering Lenore's text it's because it's Madeline's AI. She scraped up all of Lenore's data and social media posts and all that information that exists in the world wired web 
and compiled that data with, along with a questionnaire, an extensive questionnaire, and made an artificial intelligent version of the Lord who keeps texting Roderick. And what is she texting Roderick? She's texting him nevermore. Of course, she's texting him nevermore. Famous words from the Edgar Allan Poe poem, The Raven. And then we move on to the scene where Roderick wakes up from his nap. And there's a thunderstorm. And he walks towards... He walks towards his living room. And it's thundering and... And it's raining. And it's loud. And there lies upon the floor in front of someone's chamber door, Lenore, lying on the floor. And then, what do they do? They start reading the poem, the last verse of the raven. And the raven never flitting, still sitting, still is sitting on a pallid bust, a palace just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that's been dreaming. And the lamplight over him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. And I absolutely love the fact that they included that last verse from the Raven. It was beautifully done. And that's the rain and the thunderstorm. And it's just... And Lenore, like unfortunate death on the floor. It was, it was just, ah, what an amazing scene. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Just that one scene made for me the entire episode. What do you think? You know, I, I'm still kind of sad that Lenore was dead. And I kind of didn't even think about the poem or anything at that point. I was, I was more angry than anything to see her line. Yeah, I agree. A tragic death indeed. Um, but, you know. So it is that way. Anyway, uh, we move on. We're near the end here. And uh, I think that... Uh, oh, yeah. Now Roderick goes to his office. And now, again, more thundering. And he's at the top of his empire, which is crumbling before his eyes. And it's still raining. And Verna appears before, before him, showing him the casualties that Ligodone has brought upon the world not just the United States, as she was very clear, but the world and the raining bodies as it's raining outside. And, she, and Roderick is seeing this, the manifestation of all the evil that Ligodon and the Usher Empire has done. And he turns around and he sees his children all dead, including Nanor, every single one sitting on the, in a boardroom on a chair, haunting him. And she tells, Verna tells Roderick that, you know, you're in my top five of people with potty counts, Roderick. You really did a good job. And Roderick has finally gone mad, pointing the finger at every single one of his children. If it wasn't for me, goddammit, you would have never had the kind of life that I gave you. Had you lived with your mother? Ha! She's a poor. What would she have given you? I gave you the goddamn world and you still had the audacity to complain like even in his final moments after all his children have died his granddaughter his granddaughter who he himself said 
was better than Annabelle Lee because she didn't have the broken heart death before him. Pure sadness. What a tragedy. I tried. And uh, in her final act, Verna asks him to call Dupont. And that's how, uh, that's how we find Dupont. And uh, the conversations that happen between Roderick and Dupont are because of this call. It's always been a disweaving of back and forth, interlacing the future with the past. And uh, this is the point at which he calls uh, Dupont. And at the beginning of the show, the first scene where Dupont arrives in that thunderstorm, that's the same thunderstorm upon which uh, the conversation happened between him and Roderick. But before he does that, he calls his sister Madeline to the old usher house and he lures her to the basement. And in the basement, Roderick feeds her some expensive alcohol under the pretense of celebrating. And Madeline is you know, also reveling in, you know, reveling in her nature, reveling in how, you know, she only gave people what they desired, like poor people's fault. It's the poor people's fault they're poor. Why do they want medication? I only give them what they want. And they want to point the finger at me. I'm not evil. They're evil. They made me, not the other way around. So it's their fault they're poor. No one tells them to take medications. They can just suck it up and take the pain. But they choose us. And then they choose to blame us for their misfortune. It's really also very, very usher. You know, she's always more evil than Roderick had felt like, and she's really showing her true nature here. Unfortunately, now she doesn't realize that she has been poisoned, and now she is dead. And Roderick, and I didn't mention this ever, as I sort of skipped over this detail, but Roderick had bought these uh, stones. I I'm not exactly sure what the stone was. Do you recall? Ah, brother, I, I don't know what they were. Uh, they weren't diamonds, but they weren't pearls. No, they were this purple stone that was used in uh, Egyptian traditional burials where you would you know take out the, the very important person's eyes, and a queen, a, a pharaoh or something, and you would insert these opals, maybe? Oh, I think it is opal. And uh, to help them see in the afterlife. And Roderick does this. He had this gift for her. He sh they showed this gift early in the season. I kind of glossed over it. I didn't think it was going anywhere. But it turns out it was a very important plot point, at least uh, here at the end. Again, tying up all the loose ends. Wow. Have you ever seen a show tie up every loose end so well and neatly? I mean, I really, I'm really impressed. You're right. I, I don't think I, in recent memory, I've seen that. You're right. Now that I think about it, every single little thing and every detail is just kind of being finished up and put in a nice box and uh, a nice bow. Yeah. So he inserts these opals in her eyes. And if if I'm wrong, comment <laughs> at Rick's Horror on the Instagrams or, uh, you know, in this episode at the end in, uh, in the old Spotify, in the Spotify's. And let me know if I'm wrong about anything, actually, not just this. But anyway. He inserts these stones and, you know, like, remember when, when Dupont kept hearing the noise and, it's, and he kept saying, and Roderick kept saying that it was Madeline. And this happened all throughout the season. And I never brought it up, but that's my fault because I never thought it would be important. I thought it was just his hallucinations, actually. Demonic possession. He's got a 
demon. God damn it. It's always demonic possession. <laughs> oh, Lord, you do love the demonic possession. I do. But anyway, the banging turns out to be Madeline. She's not dead. And upon and now she's walking up the stairs and she walks out. And Dubon is shocked to see this opals in this woman's eyes. And clearly, you know, he's in disbelief at what's happening. And this thunderstorm is raging. And the thunder is thundering. And the rain is raining. And the house is shaking. And there'll be a killing soon enough because Madeline grabs. Oh, Lord, you really like this part. Yes, I do. Madeline grabs because she can somehow still see or hear Roderick. Grabs Roderick by the neck. And he meets his doom by way of... Ah, ah Madeline. Oh, God. That remind me of Mom. Oh, you're choking me. Oh, God, I'm dying. Oh, good Lord. I could have... Oh, oh, I'm dead. Oh, now I'm really dead. Oh, dead. D-E-A-D, dead. Oh, D-E-D, dead. And she chokes him to death, and as he dies, and she lies upon his dead body, also potentially dying from the poison and the opal eyes, the house of Usher begins to collapse, begins to fall, if you will. Oh, now you've got it. And Dupont runs out just in the nick of time. And as he turns around, he witnesses firsthand the fall of the house of Usher. And that's it. That is the fall of the house of Usher. There is one more scene, and I think they should have ended it here. But there's one more scene where Dupont is describing how he went on to you know be with his family and how he was the richest man in the world and then there's another scene of hank going to jail again tying up loose ends and uh, one last scene with verna leaving tokens uh, on top of everybody's graves all the ushers a glass a mask uh that the heart mesh every one of these stories that we saw throughout the eight episodes there's a trinket left upon each one of the characters each one of the ushers gravestones and she is I think there's another, it's another Edgar Allan Poe poem. And, uh, and then she flies away towards the camera. And the last thing we see is the raven and the raven's wing. And that's the end of it. And man, what an absolute ride. And as you know, I would like to give this episode a 10 out of 10. Oh, why can't you give this one a 10 out of 10? You said it was amazing. Oh. Because they killed Lenore. Nevermore shall there be a Lenore. Why? They could have saved her. They should have saved her. 9.5. 9.5 out of 10. I'm sorry, that's it. 9.5 out of 10, the house, the fall of the house of the usher. And if you're still here, my goodness, what an absolute joy and what an absolute ride. And we appreciate you listening to each and every one of those episodes. We loved having, uh, we love doing this. It's fun for us, but I hope they're fun for you. Follow us on the old socials at Rick's Horror everywhere. Just find us at Rick's Horror. Thank you. And until next time, this has been Rick's Rated R Horror Movie Review Show. 
and shirts. <laughs>